I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Alina is so chuffed with herself today. Tell everybody why, Alina. So we've got with us today Catherine Atwood, who's a historian and author, and she specializes in 20th century history. She's written books like Women Heroes of World War II, The Pacific Theatre, and Courageous Women of the Vietnam War. And we're here to talk about some of these amazing women that were part of the Vietnam War. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so good. I'm very, very much looking forward because we have so little stuff on Vietnam and women in Vietnam... Boom. And a female historian, even better. I know. I feel you can be smug about this one, but not too (laughs) smug because it's not you that knows stuff. It's Catherine. Uh, (laughs) But let's start by just getting, because we have so uh, probably about one third of our listeners are from America and know exactly where they are uh, context wise with the Vietnam War. But the other two thirds are spread out all over the world, um, especially in the UK. So could you just give us a really brief overview of the Vietnam War so we know the context of these women that we're going to talk about? Sure. Um, So Americans and everyone else in the West call it the Vietnam War. The Vietnamese actually call it the American War. Uh, It was a civil war between the North and the South, North and South Vietnam, and it was also part of the Cold War. Uh, The US and Asian democracies were supporting the South, and the USSR and China and North Korea were supporting the North. So the first Indo, now it's called, sometimes it's called the second Indochina war because the first Indochina war was an attempt by France to regain Vietnam as a colony. Uh, and the American war represented a tragic clash of ideals. And I just want to mention this a little bit because it's so important to understand Vietnam, the Vietnam war, uh, young Americans were told that they were fighting, they were in Vietnam to fight for democracy and against communism. And the initial fighting men were all for that, and the women who went along with them, the nurses, because their fathers and some of their mothers had defeated evil during World War II, and now they felt it was their turn. But the U.S. fighting men and women were not told that the South Vietnamese government that they were propping up against the communist North was not a bastion of democracy. It was corrupt and oppressive. So now on the other side, the young Northern Vietnamese or the Viet Cong, and I have to say the Viet Cong was actually a name made up by the Americans to distinguish these fighters from the Viet Minh who had defeated the French. Mm-hmm. It's a little complex, but the first Indochina war, the Viet Minh defeated the French and they were very well respected all through Vietnam. 
so they decided to come up with a derogatory name. They said, well, we'll just call them Vietnamese communists or Viet Cong for short. So we'll call them Viet Cong, although we shouldn't, but that was the American name for them. So these Viet Cong signed up because they were told that they were fighting for national freedom and against Western colonialism. But they were not told that the war was just as much about communism as it was about national independence. And Ho Chi Minh was an ardent communist, but he generally spoke of the war about being, being about national salvation. It was called the war for national salvation. Uh, he kind of downplayed the communist aspect of it. So when the war was over, everyone all, on all sides was let down. American servicemen and women were treated with disdain on their return, called baby killers. Sometimes they were treated with violence on their return home. And all of Vietnam, North and South, had to endure an impoverished uh, government-controlled economy, and the South had the additional agony of enduring the re-education camps. So that is my summary of the Vietnam War. I've got to say, that was so eloquently put. Oh, I know. Thank you. That's brilliant. I was like, oh, most of the historians we get on here would have needed like 35 minutes to do that question um, oh. and would have confused the hell out of all of us. So that was brilliant. Especially me. I've got to throw that in. I love it. I think it's so beautifully put. Oh, thank you. Well, I had to learn it by writing the book and um, I'll get to that um, a little later. So let's just do a, a general overview before we get into um, the actual women themselves. Mm-hmm. How many women did participate in the Vietnam War? And what sort of roles would they have had? Well, let me just explain quickly before I answer uh, that question. I wanted to wrap my brain around this war because I was a child when it was happening. I was in high school when it ended, so it was not being taught in school. So I never really understood it even though I had older cousins who came back from the war, they didn't talk about it. I had some teachers who mentioned it. They didn't really talk about it. Um, So Vietnam, the Vietnam War was far more complex than a war like World War II, where good and evil were crystal clear. And I wanted to examine that complexity. And I thought I might be able to do that by looking at the stories from all sides of the war, all perspectives. Uh, like this brilliant book, it's called Patriots, the Vietnam War Remembered from All Sides. It's a um, oral history. And you really can understand the war when you can understand the perspectives of the different people who are fighting on the different sides and for different reasons. So to answer your question, women took on many roles during the war, and I tried to represent them all in the book and at different points in the war's chronology, because the war changed drastically from the beginning to the middle to the end. So there were, uh, now I'm going to answer your question. There were American American military nurses, there were thousands, between 5,000 and 11,000. And then you also had American protesters. And this is an interesting mix of people. So you had, on the one side, military nurses who were, trying to answer their country's call. And so they went to serve their country. And then you have the protesters and they were also trying to serve their country because they didn't think we should be there. They didn't think their brothers and their boyfriends and their friends should be dying half a world away. So they were trying to do something for their country too. Do you see what I mean? It was like they were both trying to um, serve their country. So, but they didn't see it that way at the time. They didn't, they would never have given the other people credit for what they were doing. Although there was one uh, 
military nurse that I spoke to who she, she really respected Joan Baez, who was a very prominent protester. So that's why I put Joan Baez in the book. So uh, also, so you have American military nurses, American protesters, and then in North Vietnam, the Viet Cong, you had female fighters. There were thousands of fighters, perhaps millions. I didn't actually check this number, but they were fighting for their country's independence. And so they were very, very motivated to fight. And then you also had female medics, which we will talk about later. And in the South, you had basically villagers attempting to survive. Uh, it's very sad. Both the South Vietnamese government and the Viet Cong were demanding their allegiance. And in the process, they were destroying their lives. And the war was also being fought in the South on their lands. And so the war was destroying their homes, their livelihood, and their ancestors were always buried on their lands. And it was, it was absolutely devastating to them socially for the people in the South. Um, and then finally you had journalists who were trying to make sense of the whole thing. And if we find it confusing now, it was definitely confusing back then. And this is back when the world of journalism was primarily considered the territory of males. So those are the main roles that women played, I would say, in the Vietnam War. So your book, because we're we're talking about your book here very specifically, it's divided into five sections with quite a few different women in it. And to be honest, I think we should talk about all of these women but we don't have obviously a good few hours we only have um, about half an hour 45 minutes so I've picked um, a woman from each of these sections and uh, the first section uh, I chose Xuan Fong so could you tell us a little bit about her and what role she played in the Vietnam War? Well she was interesting she was a North Vietnamese patriot she was an ardent communist and she was involved in both Indochina wars which makes her story very interesting Um, she began her work uh, by visiting villages in the North and trying to convince villagers to embrace communism uh, by putting on plays with her teen comrades. So I thought that was really interesting. They just would go around. They were, they were very affluent. They had been born in affluence and they went to these impoverished village or poor villages and decided to convince these people to embrace communism. Well, she went from one job to another within the uh, resistance, you might say, against the French, and she wound up making bombs. And her, the part of her story where the Viet Minh defeated the French in 1954 was very fun to read because this was unbelievable. This was like, <laughs> and I shouldn't use this example with you ladies, but the American Revolution, <laughs> you know, went against the British. I mean, Britain was a world power, right? It was, it was yeah. massive. And here's these little colonists in their ragtag uniforms, defeated them pretty much by just running away all the time. But um, this was huge. And so she experienced the euphoria of victory. And then before living through the hell of government-controlled economy, they, they were able to fight the war. They did not know how to run a country. This happened in 1954, and it happened later, too. And they acknowledged it. But for, for a time, it was very depressing. She was in one stifling, windowless room with her depressed husband who had been kicked out of the military because he was considered bourgeois. Uh, But she wound up owning and running her own business, which is a fine art shop called the Lotus Gallery in Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon. And it's still running and she still runs it. Very interesting. She sent me some pictures. Uh, So it's interesting. Vietnam, uh, 
is still considered communist. It's still a one-party government, but they also encourage free enterprise. So their their economy is actually quite good at this point. And she she decided to you know she she promoted communism, and and now she decided you know I want to have my own business. So it's a very interesting story. So second chapter, mm-hmm. and we chose a, a U.S. Navy nurse, Bobby Hovis, and you met her, didn't you? I did. I did in 2017. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about her and what she did during the Vietnam War? Mm-hmm. So she was ordered to Vietnam by the U.S. Navy during the years where only U.S. advisors, quote unquote, were being sent to South Vietnam. That is military personnel who were training and supplying the South Vietnamese. They were trying to see if the South Vietnamese could fight the North on their own without American boots on the ground at this point where she was there. So her story is interesting for that reason, but also she had a journalist's eye, and this is what made writing her chapter so interesting. She wasn't just working at the hospital, although she does detail her work in her memoir, and then I transfer that to the book, to her chapter. But she was also absorbing history, and um, she witnessed a monk burn himself to death on the streets of Saigon. That was, that was a protest that happened not once, multiple times. Uh, it was the Buddhist monks, and they were uh, protesting uh, Diem, his Catholic policies, his policies that uh, benefited the Catholics uh, against the Buddhists. And so she saw that. She also experienced the periphery of the Diem coup, which happened just three weeks before our um, JFK was shot here in, in America. So um, I think she was just, she had a historian's eyes, very interesting person. And I I have a picture. I didn't put it in the book, but I have a picture of her holding this enormous bullet that almost hit her when she was on the balcony watching the DM coup happen or the periphery of it. She couldn't, she didn't see the guys killed actually, but um, she's, she's very historical and she lived through some great history. You sent that to me, didn't you? That photograph. I sent you the photograph of um, me standing there with her when I met her in 2017 but I could send you that photograph if you want ah yes no I'm looking at it right now she do you know what I love she just has something about her doesn't she yes yes <laughs> she's still going strong last I last I saw her oh my it's just this, this this feisty um I don't want to say old lady because it's just the wrong way to say it but a, a feisty <laughs> elderly elderly lady she's does she um does she do any talks at all about what happened well she did after her book came out her book came out um in the 90s maybe i don't have it here right here but she she used to give talks about her her book and then she she was happy to to give a talk you know so i gave my book presentation at the library it was outside dc where she lives and then she had some things that she showed us and and the picture that i sent you she's holding a viet cong flag and I can't remember how she got that flag, but she had several things. She also had uh, a green beret that she was treating a wounded green beret. That's what we call them, uh, special forces. And he he was so respectful of her and the work that she did that she, she, he handed her her green beret, his green beret. Sorry. Wow. I mean. I love that. I really do. Do you um? Do you know what the name of her book is? Just so if any of our listeners are interested. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
Station Hospital Saigon, a Navy nurse in Vietnam. It's published in 1992. Perfect. I think I'm going to have to grab myself a copy, even if it isn't. Yes. Because she just sounds, I love these kinds of memoirs. They're so powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, well, let's move on because we've now got a freelance journalist. Actually, I really, really like this story um, by Yurate Kazikas. She was uh, Lithuanian, wasn't she? Correct. Lithuanian-American. Yeah, she was born in Lithuania. Mm -hmm. Amazing, because her story actually starts from the Second World War, doesn't it? It does. So tell us us a bit about her because I, I (laughs) I really did enjoy reading about her. Okay, well... She had war in her blood because of what you just mentioned. Her family had fled the communist takeover of Lithuania in the waning days of World War II, and they traveled all across Europe in very dangerous circumstances. Uh, So she felt she had to see what was going on in Vietnam. Now, her mother was horrified by this, and she said, we did all that so you would be protected from war. We came to America so you wouldn't have to go to war. So she she dives right into a war, but she thought it was because she grew up on those stories of war. And she landed there in Vietnam when President Johnson was building up the American involvement. That is, there were American boots on the ground at this point. And she spent a lot of time with the Marines. And so we get to see them up close through her eyes at a time when many of them, most of them still believed in what they were doing. Do you know what? You've got some brilliant photos of her. Um, is it standing by the Jeep in, the, in, the, in your book? Now, she's on the cover as well, and I have a funny story to tell you about that. Let's see, where is she? Oh, it's just the one, it's just the one picture. So the picture in her chapter is the one on the cover, and I, <laughs> I sent her, um, or I had the publicist send her her complimentary copy for letting me use her story in the book, and she did not like it that she was on the cover. And the reason is, she said, this is the title did not fit with the picture. She said, this is courageous women of the Vietnam war. And how is this picture of her smiling with the guys in the sandbags? Uh, they were at, um, it was the fire support base with the soldiers of the first battalion. How does that portray courage? She's standing there smiling and they're having a good time with her. Um, but I said, you're obviously in a war zone. So I do believe that that portrays courage. Um, anyway, it's funny, was- isn't it? It's like she probably looks at it and thinks, "I didn't do anything." Right, but she was, she was in. You know, I didn't have a picture of her in danger or when she was 
you know, she was actually wounded during the Tet Offensive, mm. but um, people weren't snapping pictures of that. But this is a book for kids, so you're not going to get too gory in any of the pictures. But she is portrayed, actually, in this American TV show that came out in the 80s called um, China Beach. Mm-hmm. She's not portrayed... She isn't, the character doesn't say, my name is Gerardi Kazikis, but you know it's her because she always decided, she always wanted to do something a little feminine with herself. You can see in the picture, she's wearing uh, fatigues and she's in a man's world. So she always would put a ribbon in her hair or something a little bit feminine. And when I was watching China Beach, before I, I read the book, before I, while, as I was writing the book, I just wanted to make sure you know I hadn't missed anything. It's a wonderful series. It's on DVD. But I, I, um, oh, anyway, when I saw that character, I said, ah, she's based on Gerardi Kazikis. So it was interesting. That's brilliant. Did you say she was wounded in the Tet Offensive? Yes, a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, not, not grievously. She had a lot of, uh, she was at Kisan. So she was at Kisan and it was one of the longest and bloodiest single battles of the Vietnam War. And it was connected to the Tet Offensive. And, um, she was there and it was, it was where it was happening. She always wanted to be sort of where it was happening. Cause she was trying to understand, understand the war as well. Uh, so she arrived there in March and um, ahead of a long waiting list of journalists. And here's where this is interesting. So women sometimes can do certain things in war that men can't get away with. So she's an attractive woman She's charming, and she could get ahead of journalists just by hanging around an airbase, an airstrip, um, and sort of maybe flirt a little bit with with a helicopter pilot, and she could get ahead of him. I found this in World War II that these Europeans could sort of flirt their way past the Germans. Now, a guy couldn't do that, but a woman could. So there's certain things that women they can get away with, and this is she used her her looks and her her gender to kind of get ahead in situations like this. And there's a, there's a quote, you know, even if she didn't have the proper authorization uh, these guys would give her a lift. And uh, one pilot said to her in in the chapter, he says, what are they going to do? Send me to Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good point. Um, You mentioned, so she is wounded, but on the other side, you also have someone who's treating the wounded in the book. Don't you have Dang Tui Tram? Yes, yes. This is, oh, this is such a moving chapter. Uh, Because she was so devoted to the cause. She was devoted to her patients. And she recorded everything in a set of diaries that were later published. And reading her chapter and through her diaries, it's easy to see how the Viet Cong came to hate the Americans. Um, from either perspective, the American, whether you're talking about the American perspective or the North Vietnamese perspective, the war had by this time been going on far too long. But the Americans, who Twee labeled imperialist killers because she was a good communist, uh, the Americans seemed far stronger and better equipped than the Viet Cong, and the Americans kept killing people that she loved. Uh, but she couldn't have understood at this point that the Americans were losing heart while the Viet Cong were not because they believed fervently in their cause. The Americans stopped believing fervently in their cause because it didn't make any more, it didn't make sense after a while. And this is what that fervency on the side of the communists, the North Northern Vietnamese 
uh, the U.S. did not understand this. That's what they failed to grasp. When you're fighting for your own country, and you're fighting for your independence, you have something that the other side doesn't have, which happened in the American Revolution, too, I might add. Um, and this is a very important chapter, I think, for Americans to read, to see the other side. Um, the U.S. Army nurse, Diane Carlson Evans, who wrote the foreword to my book, was particularly moved by this chapter because she had been in the same area at the same time as this woman. And can I just read a little bit from of her foreword? Okay. So I'm going to read the whole paragraph. We read Dang Tweed Tram's diary entry about her patients. This is a quote from the, from the diary entry. Your blood has crimsoned our native land. Your heart has stopped so that the heart of the nation can beat forever. Dr. Tram was dedicated to saving the lives of the communist guerrilla forces in underground hospitals very near to where my fellow nurses and I were saving the lives of American soldiers in the 71st Evacuation Hospital, the Q, in 1969. She and I could not have been very far from each other. In her diary, she wrote of hatred for the invaders. That was me. I was the invader. We were women on different sides of the war, yet we both were passionate about our work. We both loved our countries. We both loved our patients, and we both fought despair in watching young men suffer and die. She was killed on June 1970. She died for her country, a hero to her people. She was buried on her sacred ground. U.S. military women, eight nurses, died in Vietnam too. Their bodies shipped home. Each one a hero. So how did she die? Oh, they found her. So she was, she was on a pathway. There was a Viet Cong soldier with her, and there was, I think, two villagers. And they just found them shot dead. Not execution style, I think, from a distance, but Americans found them. It was a free fire zone, meaning they didn't have to check to see if they just assumed the people there were um, enemies, so they could fire on anyone without checking. Mm. Oh, my God. That's so sad. But, yeah. But I actually I, I came in contact with the American who was responsible for returning her diaries to her family. And he, he took pictures of it and everything. There's a, there's a post I did, I think. Anyway, um, so it was very moving for them to see her diaries. And then immediately after that, they were, they were published in Vietnam and became a bestseller in Vietnam, I think it was 500,000 copies, which for Vietnam is, is enormous. That would be like millions of copies in America or in, in the UK. But um, then they were translated into English, but they were enormously popular in Vietnam because they had been told, you know, obviously they, they had won the war, they had defeated the Americans. And so they were very proud of that victory and yet all the stories that they were told, the people were sort of made out of marble. And here comes this young, emotional girl who was very good at what she did, but she still, she poured her emotions about what was going on into this diary. And it's very moving. And it helped them understand the war. Called, uh, her memoir is called Last Night I Dreamed of Peace. How did, was it um, complicated for him to get the diaries back to the family? I'm guessing it would have been. Was it after the war? Oh, definitely after the war, yes. Yeah. 
it was in the 2000s. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they only just recently gone back to her family then. And then the last one you've got um, is an Australian lady, isn't it? And it's Kate Webb. Yes. Uh, so here was another very curious journalist, and she came up to Vietnam from New Zealand uh, with a typewriter in the name of... She had been working in Australia, though, so... Oh, okay. She, um, she came only with a typewriter, the name of a UPI photographer, and a few hundred dollars, and she almost starved to death her first a few weeks in, in Vietnam. But she, she just, like Gerardi Kazikas, she just wanted to understand what was going on. She didn't understand why New Zealand... Um, in Australia, we're sending troops to Vietnam, but they weren't sending any journalists there. So she wanted to find out what was going on. She learned by doing, and she became an excellent war correspondent and moved very high up the ranks, actually, just because of her uh, avid curiosity. But the gist of her story is that she found more than she bargained for when she was captured by the VC with some other non-combatants. And she was kept in captivity for 23 days before being released. Uh, unharmed, uh, except for two bad cases of malaria. And what this, what this uh, chapter I thought was interesting, and I mean, she was a fascinating person. And she was, all the time she was in captivity, she was observing everything as if she was still a journalist. Well, she was a journalist, but she wasn't thinking so much about survival as she was, she was just, you know, she was in a very difficult situation. She might have lost her life. She didn't know. But she was still recording everything with her journalist's eye. But the thing that struck me about her chapter was that the Viet Cong were doing everything on a shoestring. I mean, they hardly had anything. The reason that she lost, she lost a ton of weight, she got sick, they just didn't have anything for themselves, barely. Um, and much less for the prisoners. So she was interrogated multiple times and then they finally let her go. Um, but one thing that, another thing that kind of um, stuck out to me was that she was shocked when she was invited to the U S press club to give a speech. Uh, she was shocked at how divided the press was, which it's still divided in America today. Um, when speaking there, she was told outright that a field reporter was morally bound to take a dove or a hawk stance on the war. You couldn't be anything in between. Well, she countered that the job did not entail editorializing, but just providing facts so the people could make up their minds. Uh, so she was, she, was a real, she was a true journalist. And in every sense of the word, I think her chapter is fascinating. And she, she kept reporting on war. I mean, you would think that after being captured and almost dying of malaria, that she would avoid war, but she didn't. And she she died quietly of, of um, cancer at the age of 64 in Australia. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. So Alina picked five, but I'm interested to know um, of all the women in the book, if you could have picked any one that we haven't to talk about, who would it have been? Oh, to talk about, let's see. Um, I think Ding Tweet Tram is actually my favorite chapter. Yeah. Uh, but well, I, th I thought that uh, Xuan Fong and Genevieve de Gallard, uh, those two chapters were interesting because there you have Genevieve de Gallard. She was the only French nurse at Dien Bien Phu, which was the last stand of the French mm. in the first Indochina War. So you have her uh, just in despair about all these French men who are 
dying and wounded and they couldn't be evacuated anymore because the, um, the Viet Minh were moving in and they were shooting down planes. And so she was stuck in this kind of a hell hole and she was just in despair and um, trying to do the best she could. And as her despair was growing, um, Swan's, or Fong's, um, Swan Fong's hope was growing. So it was very interesting to see that duality on both sides, somebody on both sides of the war and the, the different perspectives of it. Um, I would say Leila Hayslip was a very touching chapter. It was very devastating, though. She was a South Vietnamese villager, and her whole life was just devastated. Um, and I'd like to I could read a quote from... I have two um, quotes at the beginning of the book, and one of them is her father. Uh, it's from her father, and her memoir is when... Uh, sorry, ladies, I'm running out of steam here. Okay. Um, when Heaven and Earth Change Places. So that was her memoir that I used uh, to make her chapter. And she, she was so upset. She came and talked to her father, and she was so upset that everyone's everyone's life in their village had been basically destroyed. I mean, some of the young women had prostituted themselves. Uh, the young men had died. Um, there was like nothing left. It was, it was just, it was just devastating. And she wanted to blame somebody. We always want to blame somebody when something goes wrong. And her father said something very interesting. And he said, are you so smart that you truly know who's to blame? If you ask the Viet Cong, they'll blame the Americans. If you ask the Americans, they'll blame the North. If you ask the North, they'll blame the South. If you ask the South, they'll blame the Viet Cong. If you ask the monks, they'll blame the Catholics or tell you our ancestors did something terrible and so brought this endless suffering on our heads. And that's, that's the Vietnam War. It, it was just, it was the, the next quote kind of sums up what the first quote was trying to say. Vietnam is like a huge jigsaw puzzle where none of the pieces fit. It sounds like that's pretty bang on as a description. I think so, yeah. Thank you so much um, for coming on to talk to us about some of these women. It's been fascinating. Uh, could you just tell everybody again, so your book was designed for young adults, wasn't it? Um, but I, yeah. I honestly don't think that matters. So uh, tell everybody about the book and where they can get hold of a copy. Okay, it's Courageous Women of the Vietnam War, Medics, Journalists, Survivors, and More. They didn't want to say women heroes of the Vietnam War because they didn't want to – it's still so – it's very touchy still between a medical people, you know, military medical people and the protesters. There's still some mm -hmm. tension there. So they instead of women heroes, they were just going to say um, Courageous Women. So you can get it wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon. I believe you can find it Amazon UK. It's definitely Amazon US. Um, yeah, you can you can find it anywhere. Brilliant. Or ask your local bookshop to order it. That would be even better than we can support local business. Absolutely, it would be. Because uh, use your independent bookshops or lose them, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Join us tomorrow when Kelsey Power will be with us to talk all about Napoleonic prisoners of war and her speciality, which is the idea of honour and how it operates in that period. So don't miss out on that one. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon 
as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.